I had mentioned one side of our law system this morning of how people tend to want to be able to skate through on situations that they've encountered and how they're able to do it a lot of times with our law system. And then now there's a, another side of our law system that says there are times when the exactness of the letter is expected and required. And oftentimes people have found out because they fail to read the instructions or they sign that dotted line without reading those 14 pages in between of what all the things said that you've got to be aware of. Sometimes people have found themselves in a bad situation because the law of the the letter of the law says one thing and that is what was being required. A little bit along the line of this the words of the song that we have sung of holding to God's unchanging hand, reminding ourselves the only way that we know about God, the only way we know about his hand or his love and his mercy. The only way that we know anything about the fact that he is unchanging is through his word. And again, as Paul would be writing to the young preacher Timothy in that second letter and in the second chapter, he brings out some illustrations to bring his point across. And again, we can look at our sports for example, and see there are times when a technicality was called or a, a touchback was called back because a person stepped on the white chalk line, whatever else may be involved. And now there's a lot of discussion over a receiver's catch that was called not a catch that's now being called a catch, but it's too late to change the course of the game or the results of that game. Saying a lot of people have lost their medals, had them stripped away from them because of some violation. It may appear to be minor, but it was serious enough that it was a violation of the rules and it was called back. And there is part of an illustration that Paul is hinting at here in the second chapter of Second Timothy of our needing to be aware of this God, whose hand is unchanging. He has love, he has mercy, he has compassion, he has forbearance, he has patience with his people. But even with all of that, there is still this unchanging hand of his. When he shows his love and his mercy, it is because it's in light of his hand that says, this is the way it is. I love you. You've done wrong if you repent and you change, then that's going to be forgiven. But rest assured that again, that there is no skating through life or into eternity in a violation of what God has said through his word. So he uses several illustrations here in the second chapter. He's going to talk about a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. And to look at the things that they have in common. 
And part of what they have in common is that one in each of those categories, it requires some perseverance. A soldier quickly learns that, unless you're going to pile USMC, that things do not go the way that you want them to go. That there are rules and regulations that indeed must be followed. That as a soldier you have an allegiance to the one who is above you. And you are expected to obey what is being asked of you or being commanded of you or required of you and to do that job. Now as a soldier you can do it with grumbling and complaining. That will not fit into being a soldier of Jesus Christ but perseverance is required. An athlete is expected to have perseverance. It's amazing again how much time they spend in preparation. How many times, how many hours do they spend repeating a play so that in a game that they are able to perform that uh, on demand, if you will. But it takes the practice, it takes the perseverance, it takes that commitment that you believe that an end result is worth the effort that you're putting forth in that. It's always interesting to read about those who were training for the Olympics of how many hours upon hours now early many of them had to get up to do their practicing before doing other chores simply because they believe that if they engage in that athletic event as a prize to be gained which Paul describes as only temporary is worth the effort that is put forth and that's going to be an illustration for Christians they're going to have to be that perseverance that, that is the attitude of staying with it to reach that end result and believing that the practice indeed is worthwhile. And the farmer as well. The far- <coughs> excuse me. The farmer does not receive the crop before he plants the seed. Does not, does not receive the crop when he plants the seed. Does not receive the crop when the, when the plant is growing. He has to be patient until the time of the harvest. And he has to be willing to persevere. Wait for the latter, the early rains and for the latter rains. All of that's described in the Bible and all that is observed in our lives as we look around and as those who plant various crops and seeds understand that. When my brother, one of my brother-in-laws retired from driving a truck, he went into uh, operating a greenhouse growing the plants. It's interesting to see the change in that, but that's another story. But he had several greenhouses, and he was starting the wintertime, planting those seeds and seed beds and having his greenhouse there and having it heated. When we first went there, he had one butane tank, propane tank, for the house and so forth. And I'd gone back recently, or not recent, but in a few years back, and he had... I think at least six protein tanks out there, butane, to uh, heat the greenhouse. Uh, because if you do not do it properly, those beautiful ferns that he would grow would not grow. And you have to be patient. And you have to be willing to, again, entrust what's going forth. You do not change the process. 
Miracle grows out there. I understand that. You can enhance the process a little bit, but it does not change the process. You cannot plant a seed in the ground, put some miracle on it, and pick a tomato the next day. It doesn't work that way. It has to follow the process. And Christianity is along that line. There's a process that has gone through. And it's a lifelong process. Timothy, or 2 Timothy, is one of those letters as well as the Philippian letter. That as you read through it or, and recognize where Paul is, is that reminder to us that as he writes, he writes this encouraging letter to Timothy, admonishing him and encouraging him. And he himself is more than likely as a result of the second letter or indications that he's facing the last days of his life. He is, he is going to lose his physical life in a short period of time for being a Christian, for sharing the gospel in a society that did not want to hear it and in a world that, that did not perceive its value or its worth. And he's going to remind Timothy, you're going to have to fight a fight. And you're going to have to remember some things along the way. And part of that is those illustrations that he's given. You need to be mindful of what's going to go on. And you need to be prepared for the persecution that indeed will come. And that did come in his time and that has continued on down through time. It's not to the same degree, if you will, or it is not in the same avenues that it was in the first century. But the persecution and the ridicule is still there. And again, we see it being demonstrated in our country that at one time we've always wanted to pride ourselves in being this Christian nation. That's a misnomer of terms, if you will. But to believe that we were a nation that were based on Christian principles, based on the Word of God. And now any aspect of the Word of God is being removed. Any reference to God is being taken out. And any claim to the uniqueness of pure Christianity, as the Bible describes it, is not permitted. Any false claim of Christianity is accepted. But true Christianity in its purity is not being received. So there is a persecution out there to a degree. And as time unfolds, do not know what's going to come. It may go to a physical type of persecution. It is expressed at sometimes in some areas along that way. Different things that happen. To persevere in the faith. Again, to, to take those three illustrations and then to work with them within our life. To see where it is that we are. I mentioned earlier that a, a soldier can grumble and complain that been, that's been known to take place. You know, I'll do it, but, you know, I don't want to do it. Uh, but I don't like the consequence of not doing it. Sad to say, sometimes that might creep in. I'll be a Christian. I'm not really happy about it because it, it restricts me in what I want to do. But I do not like the consequence of not being a Christian. So I'll be a Christian. Well, there's no grumbling Christians that are going to be there. 
We're there because that's where we want to be. We've been given Christ as an example, and it's hard for me to imagine at any time during his life that he was grumbling and complaining about the task that he was given. You look at Philippians 2, 5 through 11, and then you read the gospel accounts, and that's enough to make you stop and to rethink some things. Uh, you read First Peter 2, 22 and 23 in that area as well. He left us an example that we ought to follow in his steps. Do not see him grumbling in heaven, arguing with the Father about what was being asked of him, but making statements that sometimes Christians want to make is, you don't know how tough that's going to be. Do you know how hard it is it's going to be to live a life and a world that is committed to sin and not sin? Do you know what it's going to be like to work with people who say they're God's people, but who do not want to receive a word that I want to have to say, or even acknowledge, excuse me, or acknowledge the word that you have given them, as they've twisted it and distorted it and made it fit their lifestyle? Do not read that. His will was to do the will of the Father. His was to do His will. Oftentimes I'm reminded of Galatians, not Galatians, Luke 5, 16. That Jesus often withdrew Himself in the wilderness to pray. That sticks. If the Son of God, knowing His mission, knowing who He was, Knowing the power that he had to do the Father's will, to find that his, that was his, his love and his life and his joy, that he would need to spend time often in prayer to his Father. How much more does that, should that mean to us? I'll face, I'll face it alone. I'll fight this battle. Jesus went to his father in prayer. On occasion, we spent all night in prayer to his father. Kept that communication line open. So that again, he could do the will that the father sent him to do. And to be able to say, I've lived my life. I've done the father's will. It's finished. And to be able then to give up his life here. There's our example to do that work as a soldier. They had soldiers back then. We've got soldiers today, and we understand again that chain of command. The centurion who had a servant that was sick and sent his servants to tell Jesus to come heal his servant. And in essence, the centurion said, listen, You do not even need to come to my house. I'm a person under authority. And if I tell one to go, he goes. If I tell another to come, he comes. All you have to do is to speak the word and my servant will be healed. What was Jesus' response? No greater faith have I found in all of Israel. No greater faith. 
Here is a Roman soldier who understood a chain of command. Here's a Roman soldier that understood authority. He recognized that Jesus had authority. All he had to do was to speak a word. And his servant can be healed. The Jews. Go get Jesus and bring him here so he can heal my daughter. Go bring him here. So that he can touch her. A centurion says, you have the authority to speak the word. Do we trust that speaking of the word to us through the word of God? He spoke it. It's given there for our benefit, for our admonition, and for our learning. That we through the patience of the scriptures might have hope in who he is. We have Ephesians 3.20. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to that power that works within us. God is able. Do we understand that? He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above what we can think. Do we limit him? Do we recognize who we are? Do we recognize that we are the spiritual body of Jesus Christ, of which he is the head of this body, and he is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think? Or do we look at ourselves and say, what are we going to do? How are we going to get, how are we going to get through all this? What's going to happen to us? We're going to fall apart. What's going to go on? And on and on we go. Do we trust the one who saves? And do we trust the one who gave his life to save us? Paul is encouraging Timothy. You've got some rough times coming. You already know I'm being persecuted. It's going to come your way as well. The world is a, does not want to receive. The Jews wanted to receive on their terms. This Messiah. But to accept him as what it is. That when I choose to become a child of the living God. I of necessity. Have made myself an enemy of the world. And then it's the question whose enemy would you prefer to be? An enemy of the world? Or an enemy of God. You're an enemy of the world. You're telling the world that they cannot live the life that they are currently living. And be found acceptable in the eyes of God. To receive a heavenly home. Unless they believe. The word of God. And are willing to obey that word. To make that change in the life. To put self to death. To look at 2 Corinthians 5.17. To, to be that new creation. To understand the old things are done away. And behold all things have become new. To look at other examples that are given. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Look above where he is. 
Set your heart and your mind on those things and desire to do his will within our life. To persevere. And in the effort, the perseverance. Athletes train for events that last a very brief time. And they will train for years for that event. Ours is a race, as it's been described at times. But it's a lifelong race. It's an endurance race. Scriptures tell us many times, many start out fine. But as time goes on, then they become discouraged. Or they got something in the past that they want to take care of and they turn away and go back. The race is until our dying breath. To keep, to keep on keeping on, to keep on doing His will. And there will, and there will be suffering. That's part of it. And an athlete, there's suffering. Uh, it's, it's, it's not easy to do. And again, like I say, in the sports world, it's interesting. Um, how true it is, I don't know. I've read it, read it on the internet, I guess. Uh, so you know it's true. Uh, that the average time that a football player is actually engaged in activity on the field is about five minutes. Because you've got the timeouts, you've got the huddles, you've got the you know, offense, defense, and you're going in and out, and, and plays last five <coughs> seconds, and then they're over, and then, you know, I mean, it's, so the average time they say it's about five minutes, it's all he plays. How much is it, time does he spend preparing for that time? Don't want to get into how much he's being paid for that five minutes either. <laughs> but how much time? Baseball players. You know, where you're, out, uh, you're on the defense, how much, how much activity do you get out to? But they will spend the time preparing so that when it does happen, what? They're ready. We're in something that's more lasting. Has far more serious consequences than anything that we find in sports. And we've seen it in sports and it can happen in the Christian life. One can start out think they've won a prize, won the, the, the medal, only to find there was a technicality and have it withdrawn. God is the final judge. And he's not looking at the individual actions per se, he is. But what he's really looking at is how are you doing them? How are you doing them? Are you doing them from a love in the heart that says, this is what I want to do. This is life. This is what gives life purpose and meaning. 
And there's nowhere else on the face of this earth I would rather be than in the service of the king. Figuratively and literally, the reward of being a child of God is just simply out of this world. There is no description for it. We cannot even begin to grasp it, to wrap our minds around heaven, the throne of God. Terms that are used that we can relate to a place, we can relate to a throne, we can relate to a city. We can relate to there not being a need for light there because God is this light. We can relate to those terms, but we cannot really comprehend the depths of what's there. Nor the depths of Christ's love for us. And the challenge is always there for us. Do his bidding. Do the things that are pleasing to him. And the end result will be taken care of. The problem so many times is that sometimes we wrestle with the song. Almost persuaded. We do well, but something comes up Something challenges the faith, and we're almost persuaded to stay with him. But there's a tug there. And that battle is always there. Be the soldier, be the farmer. Be the athlete and believe the battle that belongs to the Lord. Believe that the battle in in which the Lord gives the victory is worth it. Never been a hindrance. Never been a hardship. Because it's God who walks with us. But it's up to us. We, we, we need to make our decision, need to live by it, but they need to understand that as we make that decision and as we strive to live by it, again, it's God who walks with us and, see, and sees us through that valley of the shadow of death. So as we look at our life, It may be that we just need to make that reaffirmation of who we are, of who God is, of his love for us and the will that he has given to us. Or it may be that we need to make that change in our life. But we have a need, and we need to respond to that invitation. It's given at this time. If you need to come, we bid you to come as together we stand and sing.